All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, friends, everywhere. Uh, welcome to uh, Meeting Medicine, episode two, uh, where two blokes just sit down chewing the fat over all things meaty in medicine. Uh, my name is uh, Dwayne Quadros, and as always, I am joined today by my friend, nay, my brother, Kevin Garvey, the Prince of Perth. Are you there, my man? <laughs> Dwayne, how are you going, mate? It's great yeah. to chat to you, yeah. as always. <laughs> um, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm very excited for our session today. Cannot wait. Um, Cannot I was wait. wondering what you wanted to chat about. Mate, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Let's get right to it, mate. I'm sick of this US election malarkey, mate. So I flipped the page. So it's the middle of the paper this morning. The New Zealand Herald. Right. They, were, they were talking about uh, BPH, uh, benign prostatic hyperplasia, and how just more men are uh, 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 now realizing that this is quite a common finding for people, uh, for men. And and it just really, I did not know much about it, so I had to do a bit of research today. Uh, but maybe we can just discuss that because it's not only something that we're going to be examined on, but looking looking at the looking at the epidemiology of it, it's something that happens uh, quite constantly. So maybe we talk about BPH and and even then, I guess, push the boat out a bit and talk about uh, the, the non-benign, uh, the, the prostate cancer sort of picture. How does that sound to you? Yeah, I'd love to, Dwayne. And I love that you mentioned prostate cancer as well, just because when it comes to the prostate, these are kind of the two main things we want mm. to be thinking about. Mm. And especially just because they're so pervasive. Yeah, um, yeah obviously the BPH. So uh, I think something like 40% of males by the age of 50 are going to mm. be suffering from BPH. So, yeah. you know, this is a meaty concept, no question oh, about yeah. it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a concept that will become very close to our hearts, I'm sure, that's, probably that's... closer to our genitals. But... Well, well, and, and even closer for me, being the more senior citizen of this. Of this <laughs> I mean, I mean you, 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 you barely, you're barely hitting the, the dawn of your greatness uh, as, as a human being, whereas I am definitely on the way down. So Hopefully, and, no, I think we both have a bit of buffer zone before we start off to walk. As we speak, I'm softly palpating my behind to work out (laughs) the the situation of the prostate. But clearly, as we're going to talk about later, uh, it is a bit more of an invasive digital exam rather than a superficial palpation. Um, Mm. So look, mate, you've hit it on the head, brother. Uh, BPH, you know, epidemiology, 40% Mm. uh, by the age of 50. And and, and what what we need to stress at this early point, Kevin, is don't let the word benign uh, uh, mislead you or almost mm. almost temper down what a huge effect this can have on men mm. uh, in multiple ways. You know, and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the the signs and the symptoms and the manifestations. Uh, but d- I think I think uh, when we hear about words like malignant and invasive and uh, disseminated disease and incurable, then suddenly our antennas go up. Uh, mm. But but sometimes uh, the the so called benign. Um, things uh, or the benign conditions can can wreak as much havoc. Uh, maybe not from our perspective towards the patient in terms of we we may not be able to do that much or need to do that much urgently. Uh, but for the patient, this can be this can be a huge deal. So it's something for us to keep in mind, not only with BPH but with most things in medicine, is that it's always about that patient's frame of reference as to how big a deal uh, some some condition is or not. Um, so, mate, uh, talking about BPH, um, what what do you know about the the the, the causative 
the cause and effect is the causative situations about <clears throat> yeah Dwayne. so with the causes of bph uh look it's definitely not something that's super concrete but there are a few kind of theories going around that seem to be generally well accepted yeah um so there are kind of two hormones i think we need to talk about yeah uh, so the first one, I don't know if you've heard of it, is called dihydrotestosterone. Mm, mm. I, I have heard that <laughs> mentioned. It's the more sort of potent version of uh, testosterone, isn't it? Yeah, so it's converted by 5-alpha reductase yeah. uh, from testosterone. So right. that's how you get dihydrotestosterone or DHT. Mm. And that's obviously you need that enzyme for that to occur and i think that enzyme occurs in certain parts of your body in greater number or yeah uh, and one of those areas is the uh prostate i believe mm. and quite something quite interesting happens in that after you're kind of 30 you yeah. start producing less testosterone yeah. but that enzyme its activity actually increases with True. age. True. So you've you've got less testosterone, but you're actually getting more DHT. Mm. So and the thing about DHT is it activates your prostate's basal and luminal cells. Okay. So at the end of the day, your prostate is going to get a lot more meaty, to be honest. <laughs> that was a seamless look. That was a seamless I'm look. so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, okay, so what you're saying is that although we're producing less input uh, in terms of the input being the testosterone that we're starting mm. with, uh, the actual processing or the actual thing that's important for the processing, which is the 5-alpha the reductase that you talked about, the activity mm. of that increases. It starts, to, it starts to work a little bit harder. And therefore, even though we've got a slightly less input, that's compensated by more hyperactive processing. And so our mm. output is pretty, is still pretty solid. Um, yeah. And then that's going to make our prostate cells, I guess, live longer and proliferate. Um, exactly. And just that enzyme, we, yeah. we should take note of that because I think that's, but we're going to have to talk about that later on with the treatment. Yes. So five yes. alpha reductase, just keep that in mind, guys. Um, also... I think the way I remember it is I think five alpha mm. and like to me alpha means like, you know, stronger and to me it, it's, you know, it's taking testosterone and making it, yeah. you know, yeah. stronger and like a, more potent almost for the, upon the prostate. So Although the word reductase all... almost poo-poos that entire that entire yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but look, let's not let's not let's not piss on your fire. Um, <laughs> if you guys remember in episode one, Caven referred to referred to TPA as the acid that the water park generally <laughs> will throw down a, a tube that I have included in with my mass obesity. So I've just kept that at the back of my mind. I've just kept that at the back of my mind. So, so oh, you, mentioned, you mentioned uh, you mentioned um, testosterone and and and. And, and that being one of the main, I mean, I'll die hydrotestosterone rather being mm. one of your hormones. And then you mentioned there was another one. Uh, are we talking about yeah. estrogen, are we? Yes. Yes, Dwayne. Uh, you want to tell me more about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, estrogen, obviously, there's many different forms of estrogen. But what we really want to talk about is estradiol. Um, and, and, and estradiol uh, apparently are quite, or estrogens in general, they're very potent stimulators of prostatic hyperplasia. Um, so they're going to they're gonna 
be contributing to this uh, to this increase. Now, remind me again, hyperplasia means it's an increase in the number of the cells, isn't it? Whereas hypertrophy um, is you, the number of the cells stays the same, but there's an increase in size. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. So hypertrophy means like getting bigger kind of thing. Yeah. So if the yeah. cells, if it's like hypertrophy, I think it's getting bigger. Whereas hyperplasia is you're literally hyperproducing mm. cells. So mm. you just get more of them. And yeah. just because while we're on the topic, I think the third one in that little trifecta is metaplasia, right? Oh, yes. When, yeah, which <laughs> is completely unrelated to this. Don't know why I brought it up. But <laughs> it's revision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so metaplasia is when your cells kind of adapt to a st- repeated stimulus. Uh, mm. So I think the classic is you know, your Barrett's esophagus, if yeah. your stomach acid keeps on climbing up into your esophagus, you get yeah. that, um, what do you call it, metaplasia from, I think it's squamous cells to more yeah, it goes from columna. Like, yeah, it goes from that stratified squamous to that columna. Yes. Right. And then I think that sort of, if you get repeated sort of uh, stimuli or, or noxious stimuli down there, then that sort of increases your chance for dysplasia just to finish off this absolute mm. flex of semester one week oh my god um, so which, on top is, of it. which is there which is <laughs> this is the only thing i know from the first <laughs> year. um and, and that, that dysplasia is then when you're just talking about an absolute bastardization in, in very common terms of what the cell was originally and then you are almost well on your way or not many hits required to then mm. get into that uh, that zone where it starts to you start to worry about cancer or some sort of invasive disease. So, hundred like, percent, like you said, big fella. Um, and I've I realized overnight actually, uh, the Prince of Perth, the Prince of Perth, this is it just a great, this is a great title for you because I've been doing. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, Kevin. I met you on the first day of med school, and um, mm. I don't know if you remember this, but we were in the line. Um, and I remember, I remember, I thought you were like fresh off the boat, Indian. Um, <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, I was so close to like just singing the Indian national anthem. Oh, and, then I started, and then I heard you speak and I'm like, oh yeah, no, nah, he's a, he's whitewashed. He's whitewashed. But I remember, I remember sort of then doing a quick, you know, when you, when you add someone, when you're about to add someone on Facebook, cause I came to Australia yeah. with no friends and I've left Australia with no friends. But, um, but I, I did a quick stalk of you and you do, you do strike me as a very regal, a very regal, a very distinct, almost like a, somewhere in the cross between a peacock and a giraffe. Dwayne, I think we, I think we are extremely off topic. No, no, and I wanted to tell you that just, just just a bit of a thanks, man. But but when we're talking about estrogen, like you said, um, so (laughs) it's a stimulator of prostatic hyperplasia, and what we talked about before, the fact that as men start to age, the Mm. testosterone levels decline. Yes, Uh, but 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 funnily enough, and interestingly enough, uh, in men a lot of the estradiol or the estrogen that's coming is formed by testosterone going and undergoing a process called aromatization. Um, and, and, but, but the key thing that I want to take away from this is the fact that although as men age, the testosterone levels decline, the estrogen levels remain the same. So mm. the testosterone declines, the estrogen levels remain the same. And therefore now you've got a bit of an imbalance in the estrogen testosterone ratio. And if we if we combine that with the fact that whatever little testosterone is being made is now being converted to DT, DHT that you spoke about before, Kevin, 
Now you add on to that the fact that your estrogen, which is already a potent stimulator of prostatic hyperplasia, is still maintaining its levels. Uh, you are now going to see why this prostate or the cells of the prostate or the glands of the prostate are going to be under a growth positive condition. Mm. Yeah. So just to summarize that, so basically what we're saying is there's kind of two major hormones that people think are stimulating this hyperplasia. We've got the DHT that's being converted from testosterone by 5-alpha reductase, which activity increases as you get older. And you just enlightened us, Dwayne, about the effects of the fact that estrogen is a stimulator of prostatic hyperplasia. And as you get older, that ratio of estrogen to testosterone uh, increases. So you kind of, people think that's another cause of the prostatic hyperplasia. Is that correct? That's bang on, mate. That's bang on. Amazing. Okay. Well, what do you reckon we should talk about next? Well, since we've, since we've sort of talked about what could be the causative mechanisms, and once again, they, they are, they are almost, I wouldn't say they're hypothesized, but it's one of, this is one of these sort of diseases or these disease processes that there's no nailed on, there's no mm. nailed on, you know, causative sort of stuff, but this sort of stands to reason uh, in what we've spoken about. So why don't we talk about what are some of the symptoms and what are some of the, the pathophers behind the symptoms of BPH? I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, so I think the way to think about this um, that my tutors used to say, um, used to say, literally like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, no <longer> yeah <laughs> a long time ago. Um, <laughs> um, no, I had this great tutor who kind of broke down urinary symptoms for me and mm. she grouped them into obstructive and irritative symptoms. Mm. Um, so maybe we can talk about kind of the reason behind you getting obstructive symptoms and the reason behind you getting irritative symptoms. So, sure. Um, yeah, is that all right? That sounds, <laughs> sounds good. good. That sounds good. Sorry, you cut out a little bit there. So, I'm. Oh, gonna, I'm no. Gonna, okay. Okay. Know. That's all right. That's yeah. All right. So, the obstructive symptoms, I reckon, are pretty intuitive. So, mm-hmm. you know, your prostate's beefing up. Um, yeah. One thing I don't think we've mentioned yet is the fact that with benign prostatic hyperplasia are the zone of oh wait is it zone or lobe let me check i don't want to say this wrong zone sorry. yeah it's the zone yeah. but it happens in the median lobe isn't it but it's the it's the zone yeah yes exactly so i i think the zone there's two ways people have broken down the prostate anatomy so there's zones or you can talk in lobes yeah and um i think correct me if i'm wrong I could definitely be wrong. I think the lobes is more like the anatomist, like joy, whereas the yes. zones are more like clinically functional yeah. in terms no, of you're bang on. yeah. You're bang okay, on. so because we love the meat, we I think we should talk about in terms of zones. That's it. So um, <laughs> with benign prostatic hyperplasia, um, there is this zone called the transition zone of the. Mm. Prostate, and that's basically your area around your urethra, um, right. especially at more at the top in the mm. superior aspect. Mm. And in this area, this is where your classic BPH occurs. So yeah. you can just imagine. I mean, if you have all these cells hyperproducing and crowding around your urethra, mm. um, 
you know, it's it's real estate. Yeah, <laughs> like you're running out of room there. It's prime real estate. That's right. Um, and so it kind of in in roaches upon the pushes on that urethra. Yeah. Um, passing through your prostate, and mm-hmm. you will literally get obstructive <laughs> symptoms because yeah. your urethra is being obstructed. Right. That's Does right. that sound right? That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's not actually. So it's actually the. The, the prostatic hyperplasia that is almost crushing, crushing or mm. almost obstructing from outside the, mm. the urethra rather than actually invading the uterine, right? I just want to make sure. Yes. Of that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I just always think when I think of this, um, there's this, <laughs> there's this cinema megaplex in Perth called uh, <laughs> Event Cinema, well, the Chains Event Cinemas, but it's yep. this massive cinema. And, it has this humongous bathroom. It's like <laughs> a bathroom with a very threatening aura. I'm very, got- I'm very worried where the story's going. I'm literally, I'm literally the Prince of Perth is all about the bathroom. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable with this name you've christened me with. That this, I'm so uncomfortable with the fact you were painting the picture of a public bathroom. <laughs> Let me continue. So very threatening bathroom. And the thing about... Um, cinemas is like i don't know if you experience this duane but after i've sat down for a long time i sometimes mm. have trouble getting the motor going if you know what i mean uh, down there <laughs> so it's just a uh, the whole symphony of issues anyway so there's this really threatening bathroom and the reason it's threatening is there's about i would literally say 40 uh urinals oh. just all adjacent to each other like on each wall of the room it's quite <laughs> terrifying yeah and i just um but in that respect, you do have a wide selection of choice of which yeah. urinal you want to use. Yeah. But I always remember in that rush after a movie, you know, you oh. go to the bathroom to um, avoid the bladder. Mm. And I would always end up standing next to, you know, 50 or 60-year-old guy. And I'd kind of, this is going to sound so bad, but I kind of get like a little ego boost because... <laughs> You know, my, <laughs> you know, my little, my old 10-year-old self with my amazing waterworks yeah. Um, yeah. could just, you know, get it going immediately. That's but right. poor old mate right. next to me yeah. um, would be standing there for a good, you know, 30, 40 seconds. I'd be out the door before That's the it. time he's done. And um, only now am I starting to realize that that will be my future soon enough. I mean, I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad you took that victory because poor old mate next to you um, was struggling with an imbalance of the estrogen testosterone. <laughs> uh, here he is, and, and what and what was a a, a brief uh, transient stop for you on the way to your day was probably a very chastening reality check for this. For oh, this. exactly. And and, and it and is that, really terrifying. It is, and and and, and um, look, I'm glad you took me on that journey uh, because I I agree. <laughs> I agree with that. Is that and, and once again, this is what I mean, is the fact that we touched on it before, uh, is that it really is a lot of medicine, a lot of the patient experience is really important. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And it's not just about, you know, in a textbook, if you see the amount of information you get on BPH versus, say, the cancers, it's much less. But this can be a big deal, you know, and this can be a big deal. And for us as men, uh, this may just be a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. But so you mentioned you mentioned the obstructive symptoms. Um so I guess the other the other symptoms that you spoke about were the irritative symptoms. Um, mm. And I guess if we think about it, uh, the the actual obstruction 
of the bladder outlet, uh, it, it contributes in no small part to the irritative symptoms, isn't it, bro? Like, um, I believe uh, because <clears throat> because you've got you know issues with the outflow, you've got a muscle around your bladder, or that's I, I think it's around. No, it's, it's actually the wall of your bladder, and it's called the detrusor muscle. And because of these obstructive symptoms, because you don't actually have proper, complete, free-flowing emptying of the bladder, mm. this muscle goes into a bit of a chaotic state. Oh, yeah. um, you know, so the detrusor uh, actually enters a, a, a phenomenon of overactivity. Um, mm. and, and in fact, more than that, it is the fact that it has involuntary contractions whilst your bladder is filling. And, and, and this is really the hallmark of what what Kaven and rather Kaven's tutor uh, talked about in terms of being the irritative symptoms of mm. of BPH. Now the, the the thing is that yeah you know we we may think that oh yeah bladder wall becoming more meatier and the detrusive muscle overactive whatever this 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 can't be this can't be a long long term thing and in fact eventually you can have weakening of the bladder wall uh, you can have weakening of the bladder wall. And obviously, that's going to result in you can't you can't finish uh, emptying, so incomplete voiding, um, and therefore now you're going to have urinary stasis. So the fact mm -hmm. is that you've already got a weakened bladder wall. Caven talked about the actual obstruction to the outflow. So now you've just got this accumulation, almost a stagnation of of urine, and and uh, and I'm sure most people know um, that 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 still urine um, is is a is an absolute absolute invitation. For urinary tract infections and for and for bladder stones uh, to form as well. Does that does that sound uh, sound about right, or have I been to use your word disseminating absolute lies? <laughs> you would never disseminate lies, Dwayne. No, I entirely agree. And just with that static urine, uh, what I like to envision is. You know when you have a pond. No, don't worry. This won't be a rogue metaphor. You know when you have a. <laughs> I remember the megaplex in Perth. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know how you, like, if you have a pond yeah. and you don't uh, install the, I don't know what it's called, that thing that, like, moves the water around. Is that you the filter? Up, Is it like a filter situation? That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to say that. No. Um, so I'm more happy to just admit I don't know really. No, let's how. call it a filter, mate. We don't do things by halves here. Let's call it a filter. <laughs> yeah, and so if you don't have a filter in that pond, you're not keeping things moving around, yeah. um, that's the classic you get all that um, – rubbish growing on the surface is yeah. that like algae and stuff yeah so it's kind of like a similar situation yeah. uh within your bladder yeah. um and then you can start your you know now you're predisposed to utis and everything like that yeah. um so yeah um just to sum that up so we have the obstructive symptoms which are purely well not purely but essentially due to uh, your urethra being compressed, and then yeah. kind of secondarily, you'll start to get these irritative symptoms as well. Mm -hmm. um, do, we have, do we have any, because people are really into mnemonics these days, mate. Um, <laughs> do we have any mnemonics for those? Uh, oh, for yeah. Those? So my, my tutor also shared these with me, and um, I've been using them. So for if we start with the obstructive, mm -hmm. um, I was given their mnemonic sheds. Mm. So for sheds, oh, let's see if I can remember. Um, so the first S was like straining, I think. So I use straining to urinate. H is hesitancy. Yeah. Um, 
What does that mean again, Dwayne? Oh goodness, I knew you would do. I, I, <laughs> mate, I almost, I almost feel hesitancy. It, it, it talks about what you were describing the old men at the bathroom, uh, at the toilet. <laughs> Is that what it means? Because I, I get confused. With I, 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 just, sure. I just Googled it so yeah. when we don't disseminate any lies. No. And um, hesitancy is difficulty starting or maintaining. Oh, there we right. go. There we go. Yeah. We're doing wrong. That, that is exactly what I thought it was. I wish I'd just backed myself. Oh, but, you need to, Kevin. Oh. You're the principal. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> All right. So that was H. Yeah. E, we've got... Um, Emptying incomplete. Mm. So, you know, you, you do your way and it stops, but you feel like you're not done, but mm. you're done. So a bit of cognitive dissonance there. Right. Um, D, you've got dribbling uh, kind of at the end. So mm. instead of just going out with a bang and finishing cleanly, mm. kind of you have this prolonged finishing phase where you're just dribbling a couple of droplets out, right. rather unpleasant. And the last one is the last S in sheds is a um, uh, the stream, I think. Is it kind of continuous yes. or is it not steady? I you think know? it's not steady. Not steady. Yeah. yeah. You're, yeah. Right. You're right. You're right. I just realized, I don't know, this was definitely intentional actually, that mm. sheds is a rather apt mnemonic given that you're having trouble shedding urine. Do you reckon that's on purpose? Shitting urine? I mean, yeah. wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I always thought of shitting like a external coat of skin or, you know, like you're shitting. Oh, like, I know what you mean. Yes. Um, um, mm. but, but sure, I'm willing to. <laughs> look, we have, committed, we have committed so deeply into the quagmire of your tortuous metaphors today. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to. Then, you know what? When my parents come home at night and they're like, mate, where are you? I was like, I'm oh, sorry. I need to excuse myself from family prayer time. I need to shed some urine. Um, <laughs> and let's see, let's see on a scale of zero to beating where that lands on. Um, but but look, you talked about sheds, apparently shedding yeah, urine. Obstructive symptoms. Shed. Well, I'm going to back that up, mate. I'm going to talk about FUND, which is my mnemonic for the right. irritable symptoms. So mm. FUND stands for frequency. Uh, mm. um, I'm not even going to try and explain what frequency is because I, I, it's totally left the top of my head. So if you want to do a quick Dr. Google. Yeah, I think it's just your frequency of going to the bathroom. Oh, I need to back myself as well. I thought that's what it was. I (laughs) I thought it was just something ridiculous. Um, Well, okay. Well, urinary urgency, urinary urgency or urge incontinence is the U there. Mm -hmm. Um, Nocturia, I do know, uh, which is, which is urine, a shedding urine at night. Um, And, and, and in fact, multiple times during the night. And, and this is something to remember. Uh, is that and we're talking about the patient experience. Um, mm. This is one of the reasons why BPH can be a big deal. Is the fact mm. that you're not really getting a good night's sleep, um, mm. and therefore in the morning, uh, person's uh, chances are they're going to be a little bit more irritable. They're going to be they're going to be uh, fatigued. They may not be you know their their, their mental health, their mental cognition is not going to be the same purely because they haven't got a good night's sleep. Um, and, and the D of this is the dysuria. So it's actually the pain or discomfort on urination. Um, apparently with the dysuria, it's a bit of a sort of there's two reasons that could be contributing. Number one is it's actually more of a, rather than a sh- you know, pain, pain, it's more of an uncomfortable pressure that's almost proportional to either the level of straining or the level of obstruction of the actual urethral passageway. 
but but in some cases, uh, that dysuria can sort of sometimes be a bit of an early hallmark of there may be a UTI or a bladder stone that's actually developing um, there as well. But but fund frequency, urinary urgency, uh, nocturia, and and uh, dysuria. Awesome. Yeah, I'm. I totally agree with all of that. Perfect. So what should we talk about next? Maybe the test? Testing. Yes, yes, okay. yes. The, the fun part. That's Here we right. go. The finger of truth. The finger of truth. <laughs> oh, well, we were, having a bit of, we were having a bit of a conjecture about this, weren't we, before? And, yeah. and, and our listeners will work out why later when we sort of talk about the, the segue to this. But, but uh, look, uh, the human body is full of many orifices or orifices. I'm not quite sure how you say that. Orifices? Um, what? <laughs> Hey, hey, you're the guy who thinks that ischemia said ischemia. I'm going to tell you a rosy. Right. We agreed not to talk about that, John. <laughs> that's, that's before you dragged me uh, without my consent to the Megaplex bathroom. Oh, man. <laughs> but but no, the digital rectal examination is part mm. of what forms. So obviously you have a patient who presents. Um, they're not going to present to you and say, I need you to feel the prostate. They're going to be giving you this constellation of symptoms. They're going to be giving you possibly some obstructive symptoms, possibly mm. some irritable symptoms, um, and, and also maybe some, some generalized symptoms, for example, the lack of sleep, the irritability, etc. cetera. Um, and then, obviously, you take that patient history, uh, and then you've got, to do, you've, got, you've got to lay some hands on them. You've got to do a clinical exam. So the DRE, the Digital Rectal Examination, um, is the is the mainstay in terms of physical examinations for mm. issues of the prostate. Um, so so what we would tend to find here uh, is is that is that you're gonna find the prostate actually is globally enlarged. And correct mm. me correct me if I'm wrong here, Kevin, because we were having a discussion about this before, and and I may have forgotten what we said. But I believe it's that it's, it's globally <laughs> enlarged. Obviously, most of the hyperplasia is in that transition zone. But yes. it's globally enlarged, and the prostate is feeling quite firm. Uh, but it's non-tender, and it's not very nodular. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, there's been much consternation about this, but I think the the kind of idea is that yeah, it's firm. It's kind of elastic, rubbery. Even it's. Yeah. I think it's more about that. It's kind of symmetrically mm-hmm. enlarged. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we talk about the prostate cancer later that yeah. is a little different mm-hmm. um yeah i'm maybe it would be slightly nodular but i think it's especially about the texture in that it's not hard or anything mm-hmm. it's more like rubbery mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense Absolutely. Um, yes so in saying that though um while a direct rectal exam is important it's definitely not the hallmark of the diagnostic process. That kind of makes sense. Yep. There's some yep. other things they need to do. Because I think when they're diagnosing BPH, um, it isn't really about diagnosing BPH. It's more about ruling out prostate cancer, yes. right? Yes. Um, yes. So what's another test they're going to do, Dwayne? Do you have any ideas? Well, I mean, we, we love to run blood tests, don't we? We, mm-hmm. we love to run blood tests. So... One one sort of uh, one sort of level or one sort of chemical that's associated with the prostate that we hear talked about a lot as a definitive measure, but actually it really isn't um, mm. necessarily 
is the PSA levels, prostate specific mm. antigen. Uh, now with 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 BPH, you're gonna see you're gonna see a elevated free prostate specific antigen. Um, so it is it is gonna be it is gonna be up there. But uh, the one thing the one thing you've got to you've got to realize and we've got to realize with this is that once again this is not a definitive diagnostic tool um, for for prostate. Uh, for prostate issues, of course, it's saying there's an issue in the prostate, but it's not definitively going to say is a prostate cancer or is it BPH. Um, mm. so, totally mm. there. Um, I- anything else comes to your mind, mate? Yeah. So just while we're talking about PSA, um, I think it's that idea that with okay for benign prostatic hyperplasia, you're probably going to expect elevated free PSA, but mm-hmm. um, in, there, there are a lot of cause, which is essentially what you are saying. There are a lot of causes for that elevation. Um, yep. I believe prostate cancer also often mm. causes an elevated free PSA. Yep. So yep. in that respect, uh, <laughs> it's not the most useful for differentiating. <laughs> but, um, but I think, yeah, kind of like you said, it's more like, hey, public service announcement, PSA. <laughs> 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 There's something going on with the prostate, right? That's it. That's it. <laughs> I am terrible. Okay. So I think another thing they can do is some kind of imaging. Yeah. So you can do an ultrasound where you're going to see either you're going to look for an increased prostate volume or mm-hmm. you might notice that something called a post-void residual volume has increased. Mm-hmm. So essentially after they do a wee, they've, they're still holding in a lot more we in their bladder than you'd expect, essentially. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. No, you're very right there, mate. And and, and the the, and the actual from a clinical perspective, the abdominal ultrasound uh, is a very very quick quick and easy. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. I'm just gonna flex a bit of the old clinical. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's literally like you know how when when you when you do a quick you know ultrasound search for when you know a woman is pregnant. With the baby, oh, cool. literally, all you're doing is we call it the bladder scanner, and it's literally an ultrasound. And you put it in the in the sort of the suprapubic area, um, right. and that's it. You know, so what you usually get patients to do is, uh, and this is not only with uh, this is not only with um, you know BPH. Uh, this is with any any situation where you're worried about urinary retention being part of the pathophys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so sometimes, uh, yeah. So you essentially tell the patient if they can. Uh, let uh, let the let the let us know when you need to take a pee. When you feel that you need to take a pee, you do a quick scan, and then mm. you see how much is in there. They then urinate, and then you do a post void. So pre voidal scan and a post voidal scan, and then mm. you sort of work out. Um, I think if it's more than a hundred mils in an adult, or there's some sort of percentage in kids. Um, obviously, BPH is not going to happen as much in kids, but in terms of the general uh, mechanics of a bladder scan. So it's actually a very easy, a very, uh, it's a mainstay exam of, of most clinical, uh, clinical environments. And I would dare say that most even GP clinics might have some sort of rudimentary ultra scan, uh, ultrasound scanning apparatus that could do the job as well. Hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. Thanks for that, Dwayne. It's oh, always <laughs> great to learn some clinical knowledge, some meaty knowledge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, and I think the other one is this thing called a transrectal ultrasound, which is um, especially used if they're thinking that prostate cancer is a possibility. Sure. Um, 
So yeah, um, now that we've talked, we've talked extensively about um, this kind of hideous ensemble of urinary symptoms. Yeah. So I'm pretty interested to hear about the treatment. I don't know about you, Dwayne. Yeah. But yeah. I, I want to know. Fix what, Let's fix this. Yeah, exactly. So do you know of any of the like? How do you approach treating BPH? Yeah, I mean, I mean. Look, I mean, there's always, there's always with medical, with medical treatment. I think there's a certain camp that says, "Let's not medicate," and then mm. there's a certain camp that says, "I want to prescribe some stuff." So I think, I think if I talk to the, uh, let's not, let's not, you know, jump on all this, all the uh, medications all at once. Um, there is, there is a, 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 a camp that believes in, in, in watchful waiting. Um, so essentially, essentially, this is really good uh, or for patients with mildly symptomatic um, BPH, or even if they're on meds, this is really good for patients to have as an adjunct to medical therapy. And essentially, with the watchful waiting, it's all about behavior. You know, so one thing that you want to tell your patients to do is is to restrict your fluid intake before bedtime. Uh, or even before social occasion, but especially before bedtime. And this is where we're really talking about trying to minimize that, that you know, that bladder filling uh, and hopefully in a way to try to minimize the, the irritative symptom of the nocturia. Um, so once mm. again, we're talking about quality of life here. Um, another thing with behavior, um, you, you want to avoid or reduce. I think we always say avoid, but it's, it's a bit hard to avoid fully, but reduce caffeine and alcohol intake. You know, caffeine yeah. and alcohol intake, uh, because I mean, I'm I'm not too much of a of an alcohol guy, but I love my caffeine, and, <laughs> and there is a well worn path between my study table and 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 the, and the toilet, uh, where I have been doing the rounds ever since exam study mode has happened. Because <laughs> I'm going I'm going through tea like it's going to disappear from the world and the alphabet. Um, but uh, <laughs> but no, so you want to avoid and reduce uh, reduce if you can. Let's let's say reduce. Let's not be bloody. Mm. Uh, angry at our patients all the time and the third one's a little bit weird but ensure complete bladder I'm, I'm just going to ignore that i think it might be i'm not sure what that is but i would say the first two um <coughs> restricting restrict i think Kevin might have stitched me up there with the with that, <laughs> i don't even know what that means uh ensure complete emptying of the bladder uh possibly I, I actually have no idea, mate. Yeah, well, um, thank you I, for that. Needle and thread, the Prince of Perth is stitched here. <laughs> uh, but no, I would say let's focus on let's focus on restricting the fluid intake before bedtime and mm. and reducing the caffeine intake and the alcohol intake. But right, Kevin, yeah, Kevin, if we want to go down medically, um, uh, what what are our options? Yeah, so I think like you kind of said, the watchful waiting thing is if they're, you know, they're not too symptomatic and they're kind of able to get on with it. I think it's always preferable not to chuck um, them on meds just for the sake of chucking them on meds. But let's say their symptoms are getting pretty bad, you know, they're sheds, they're fund. It's it's not looking good. It's not a pretty picture. Um, So that's when you start... Uh, bringing in the medications Mm. so there's kind of two big groups of medications i think we should talk about and the first one is uh the first line sorry Mm. are alpha blockers Mm. and essentially i don't know if you remember all our semester one sympathetic comparing the androgenergic receptors Mm. and yeah Mm. so essentially how these work is um 
alpha one, they block alpha one receptors. And the reason that's useful is alpha one receptors um, are kind of, I think when they're activated, the smooth muscle of the bladder neck and the urethra contracts. Mm -hmm. So if you block it, it means that you have basically a more relaxed bladder neck and urethra. So um, you have less resistance to that outflow of urine, which means hopefully it makes weighing easier. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're kind of counteracting that artificial increase in pressure from the hyperplasia by kind of coming in and telling your muscles to chill out a little bit. Chill out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Have I (laughs) disseminated any lies? This is straight (laughs) off. That's really good. Oh, perfect. All right, good good. to hear. Do you know the other class though, Dwayne? Well, I... I listen to what you say 87.7% of the time. And I remember <laughs> you saying at the start of this podcast, which feels an age ago, I'm sure, to our listeners, um, oh, about that 5-alpha reductase. Um, yeah. And I feel if we remember the 5-alpha reductase was important in terms of converting testosterone to the dihydrotestosterone, a more metabolically active, potent version of testosterone that was that was driving you know, prostatic activity, hyperplasia, whatever. Um, so if we try and inhibit that enzyme, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna give us a bit of change there. So by inhibiting that enzyme with five or oh, five alpha reductase inhibitors, um finasteride, I think is a is a common is a common first line right. of this family. Um yeah, you're yeah. gonna decrease your your conversion of testosterone to DHT. Um so therefore now you've got less uh, lower levels rather of DHT in the prostate. Uh, and then that's going to decrease the prostate growth. But at the same time, uh, it's going to allow prostate apoptosis, which is natural natural cell death. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it ensures that you're not just getting this engorged, uh, meaty prostate um, because of this overbalance of DHT, which almost couples with the maintenance of estrogen levels. Yeah, and I guess the reason why the watchful waiting kind of school of thought is mm. so uh, dominant is just because obviously these medications have a lot of side effects mm. and because we are in this kind of genital region uh, yeah. they are often the not not the most pleasant of side effects so especially with those five alpha reductase inhibitors at the end of the day you're reducing the amount of dht you're producing yeah. so that's going to have a bunch of other effects mm. with like sexual dysfunction mm you know, erectile dysfunction, decreased libido, yeah. um, and it can even lead to gynecomastia, I think, which is right. when you get enlarged breasts, which yeah. is um, not something that's generally desired by no. most men, I no. would say. No. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else on treatment? Mate, like- I think I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's worthwhile mentioning uh, just the surgical stuff. Um, right. So... So with the surgical interventions, it's, it's key to say that most of the time it's the watchful waiting, the behavioral changes plus the medicated changes. Um, but if that's still not, if that's still not uh, buttering your bread, if that's still not cutting the mustard, then mm. you've got to go, you've got to go uh, for surgical resection of the prostate. And that's called the transurethral resection of the prostate. And essentially, right, yeah. I mean, we are not surgeons. Uh, I have very little desire to be one, Kevin. I'm not sure about you, but um, <laughs> but essentially, 
um, you're going up the urethra and, and you're almost using uh, something called a cautery receptor scope, or I like to call it literally a wire and a ring around it. Uh, right. and, and you're essentially carving away all that, all that, uh, I guess that, 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 um, the hyperplasia, which was around, which was around the urethral uh, passageway. Uh, and in that way, you're physically taking out pretty much like pruning, pruning your hedge pretty much, um, trying to get it under control. So you're going to try to hopefully get rid of those, uh, those obstructive, obstructive, uh, symptoms, uh, which obviously then lead to the irritable symptoms as well. And, and I would almost say that's probably as much as we maybe want to say on BPH, but God. Yeah. Yeah. I think just before we wrap up though, it's definitely yeah. just um, giving a bit of thought to prostate cancer and maybe how that mm. differs in presentation and testing to BPH now that we've yeah. talked about BPH so much. Um, so I might just kick us off with um, sure. just kind of the general, some general info about prostate cancer. So yeah. um, I was actually really shocked by some of the epidemiology stuff. So mm. Um, the biggest risk factor is advanced age. Okay, that's probably not <laughs> not that shocking. Yeah. But I think some of the statistics, um, I was reading one thing that said autopsy studies showed that latent prostate cancer was in uh, 36% of Caucasians, so like uh, age between 70 and 79. True. So when they looked at all the dead bodies of 70 to 79-year-olds, mm. literally one-third of them, Wow. had a latent prostate cancer, wow. which is incredible to me. Wow. And even more so for African-Americans, it was 51%. Right. So, look, this is a very real kind of issue. Mm. Um, I, I'm i not sure. I, I have a feeling it's the most common male cancer. Is that correct? I feel it is, mate. I feel it is. Yeah. I'll yeah. just check that now. So yeah, I feel there's a lot of sort of campaigns, you know, uh, about it and and raising awareness and stuff, so it might it might just be. Uh, oh, okay. Might. So it's in the top three. I was quite. Give me the top three. Yeah, it's it got an Olympic medal. So lung cancer's first, and then I think prostate and colorectal are the next kind of yep. biggies. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough of enough of that. Do you want to tell me kind of? How it differs in the clinical picture to yeah, benign yeah. setting. Well, well, the thing with the with the what makes and and that's why I'm not surprised at all. Now that you mention, you know, the latent prostate cancers and they're finding it finding it mm. in bodies, is that the early in the early stages came off the prostate cancer situation. It's usually asymptomatic. Uh, right. It's usually asymptomatic. So once again, remember we talked about when we're talking about BPH. All that hyperplasia, all that growth is right around that transition zone. And so you're going to have symptoms. You're going to have urinary symptoms. Now, now, fun, uh, in contrast, in prostate cancer, that growth is actually happening in a different zone altogether. Um, mm. And that's called the peripheral zone. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a way, it's more around where the ejaculatory duct is rather than where the urinary uh, system passes. Um, so... So that's the thing is the fact that it is it is prostate cancer is generally slow growing. It's mm -hmm. usually in the periphery, and because mm -hmm. of this, you're not really going to get those compression symptoms uh, yes. that we spoke about. Um, and and in fact, sometimes it, it is found incidentally. It is found incidentally. So it's not like you know whether it's through screening tests or 
for example, if a patient is, is experiencing BPH symptoms throughout that whole, you know, sort of testing uh, process, clinical exams and lab exams and all that stuff, some people find out that way, you know. So I think that's that's something that we need to to uh, yeah, to uh, stay hold of. Um, mate, while we're talking about that, since we talked about the digital uh, rectal exam, direct rectal exam, how is prostate cancer feel in terms of the prostate different to BPH? Um, in terms of, did you say in terms of the direct yes. direct rectal yes. exam? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think the key difference on that front was to do with the fact that with the prostate cancer, you're mm-hmm. going to feel really like kind of hard. I think the word they used was injurated. And oh, okay. when I looked that up, I think it just meant hard. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, you're going to feel like these hard nodules. Um, yeah. What else? I think, yeah, just in comparison, it's, yeah, it's not like elastic, like in BPH. And I think the other thing was the kind of like, heterogeneity slash asymmetry as yeah. opposed to that diffuse nature of mm. BPH. Mm. Um, is there anything else I've missed about no, the diet? You know, yeah, is that know. right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, okay. that was good. And, and look, like we said, it's early on, it's say symptomatic, uh, but later on you do get to, you do get to, to see some, some more sort of general and also urinary symptoms. So uh, like we've always said with, with cancer, as we ask for our history exams, uh, those those constitutional symptoms, you know, the fatigue, the appetite changes, the weight loss, the night sweats, uh, yeah. and and eventually late stage cavin. Now, because you know your prostate is is essentially fully cancerous, you are now going to get those those urinary symptoms. You know, the retention, the hematuria, the incontinence, um, and and that's something to to think about. But the but the key takeaway from in terms of presentation is that early on it is uh, asymptomatic. Mm. Yes. So with the constitutional symptoms, I actually have a little, I don't know if you'd need a mnemonic, but my one is uh, uh, feel all weird. So F-A-W. So fatigue, appetite changes and weight loss. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's my little. (laughs) It is now. It is now. No, that's right. That's right. Tell me, tell me, Kevin, prostate cancer. Is it, is it? Is it known for being a metastatic sort of situation? Oh, oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I, I think it is. I'm pretty sure this is the one where it turns up in your spine. That's is that? Right. Do you know right. more about this than me? I, yeah, think, mate, I feel like I you do. do. I do. Yeah. That, was a, that was a LeBron James alley <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah. So, so it is. It is. And in fact, it is a type of metastases, what we call osteoblastic metastases. Right. And the fact that it's it's more of a I believe it's called a sclerotic type of uh of, of metastases as opposed yeah. to lytic type. So essentially you're gonna you're gonna see it you're gonna see it um you know in your spine. Uh you're gonna be getting some some uh, bone pain and some lower back pain. Um and also around that spinal region you, you might start to get symptoms and signs of Spinal cord compression, so you, you know you might have uh, uh, weird weird feelings or, or or change of strength and mobility in your lower limbs. Uh, you may be getting urinary incontinence, bowel incontinence. Um, you know, so these are things to to think about as well. So it is it is definitely a, a metastatic uh, thing, and it definitely and more often or not goes to uh, the the uh, the bones. 
especially yeah. that was spinach. So the goal is definitely to get to this cancer before it metastasizes. Um, <laughs> that's generally the goal with a lot of cancers. Um, so what kind of tests do they do for prostate cancer, Dwayne? Do you have any Yeah, idea? I mean, look, once again, once again, it starts off with the, with the um, and I'm going to go to the test really that sort of confirm that you've yeah. got prostate cancer. Um, you obviously, you know, you've spoken about the DRE and the fact mm. that it is, a, it is a, there's a heterogeneous asymmetrical sort of uh, situation uh, to the actual palpation of the prostate. Um, once again, you're going to have, you're going to have more often than not, you're going to have elevated uh, PSAs um, and the prostate, uh, prostate specific antigen. Yeah. Um, however, uh, Usually, I believe it's called needle biopsies. I believe it's called su- uh, needle core biopsies, um, yeah. which tend to be uh, the gold standard. And and in fact, it's it's done by a process called TRUS, which is transrectal ultrasonography. Um, so it's almost like an a, a, a ultrasound guided um, uh, biopsy of that peripheral zone, and in fact, other oh, zones okay. of the prostate. Yeah. Uh, and essentially, to 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 grade it, and we're not going to go into the whole grading system because that that'll be a new the new bloody thing altogether. But they take multiple slices of the prostate, so they're they're quite they're quite uh, thin slices. I think it's about twelve samples are taken area from different areas of the prostate, and then they score it. And essentially, the more you know, the more the more abnormal uh, it seems, because a prostate usually under normal histology. It's quite a glandular sort of situation, um, but but the more sort of uh, oh you get away from that and, you, and you're seeing weird shaped glands and sometimes they may be fused and sometimes they may be unfused and your basal your basal cells tend to disappear and all that stuff. Uh, they use the Gleason score. They use the Gleason score and and they essentially take the two worst areas, the worst scoring, and they attribute that to a grade. So that is sort of so you've got the physical. You've got the uh, PSA and other blood tests, uh, but but the gold standard is definitely the truss uh, and doing the needle core biopsy with that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's really that biopsy at the end of the day that's going to tell you what's going on and that um, Gleason grade mm-hmm. will kind of tell, inform the prognosis and things yep. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as in terms of treatment, cancer is always a uh, it's, it's not a great one for treatment so in terms of it depends whether it's localized or if it's mm. spread and metastasized right yeah. so yeah i think if it's localized there's kind of a few options i, I this is quite an interesting one actually i think because um, the watchful waiting thing is actually mm. also a doctrine with the cancer which mm. seems a bit counterintuitive but the idea i think here is um often since it's so slow growing if you've got you know if you've got an 80 year old coming in with a really slow growing cancer yeah it's and you know he's probably only got 10 years on the clock anyway yeah it's not really worth putting him through all the stress and the side effects of like um full-on going in with surgical measures and transecting parts of his prostate or just taking the whole thing out it's just not yeah. worth it from the patient yeah. perspective yeah. so um that's why i think you know if they find it early 
they'll just wait and watch a little bit to kind of see how fast it's growing and they take into account other factors like how old you are yeah like that yeah um, any other comments about that no, no, I think I think that's good. Um, and obviously, if they do decide to to, and we won't sort of go too much into this, uh, because I think in the future we should do something when we learn a bit more about it, about the different ways you can treat different cancers. But yeah. obviously, the mainstays are, like you mentioned, mate, uh, surgery. Um, so this can either be uh, a salvage prostatectomy where you remove part of it, um, or or you can or you can take out the whole thing. Uh, but that's a radical prostatectomy, but um, usually radiation uh, tends to be the go-to over here um, with with prostate cancer. But of course, now if you start to have metastatic disease, um, you know, so it's coming into the spinal cord, uh, it's coming to the spine or bones, or it's moved through the lymph nodes or whatever, then your options uh, of sort of localized treatment like surgery then sort of uh, drop down that list, and then you really have to start start having conversations about more systemic treatment of of cancer and or even palliative care uh but but of course the 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 advantage with prostate cancer if there is such a thing is that in most cases it is slow growing um so the watchful waiting like you said came usually is quite a quite a hallmark of treating this yeah yeah um uh, yeah i think that's pretty much everything that yeah. we want to talk about yeah. um yeah, so we did. We talked about BPH and yeah. kind of how it. I think the key difference here is like it's a bit counterintuitive in the sense that if you're getting those obstructive symptoms, mm. it's probably it's not a good thing. But do you know? Do you kind of get what I'm getting? Yeah, at? yeah. I mean, like, I mean like, if you're getting those obstructive symptoms earlier on, it's probably a good thing that it's BPH. Yeah, but in a small exactly. situation, it could just be a very late prostate cancer. But most yeah. of the time, it's probably a good thing that it's a BPA. Mm. I think um, they often find the cancers like concurrently to when they're checking out your BPH as well. Mm. Um, That's right. I, I don't know too much about that though, so I'm not going to comment on that anymore. All right. Well, I think we can call it there then. Um, yeah. Yeah, any parting comments? No, no, sounds good. And, and hopefully hopefully your history-taking Oski and ours goes well tomorrow and, uh, <laughs> and we'll get back to, to, to doing whatever we're doing here on the Media Medicine Podcast uh, soon. I'll after. tell you what, if we get um, a benign prostatic hypertrophy oh. Oski tomorrow, oh. I will be the happiest man alive. I'll hit them with that fund. I'll hit them with that sheds. Oh, that's it. We'll just kill it. Actually, we'll have no idea what's happening. <laughs> have you been shedding urine in the megaplex? All right, man. Good talking to you. We'll touch base soon. Yeah, pleasure as always. All right, thank, thank you.